0: Welcome to Camera Shake Podcast, episode 51. As always, this is the podcast where we talk about photography, video, how to make photos, how to shoot videos, and anything and everything that's got anything to do with any of that. Now, today is episode number 51. That can only mean one thing. We're one week away from a full year, our first year, of Camera Shake Podcast. How do you feel about that? God, can you? I can't believe it's been a year. It's I incredible. cannot
1: believe it. It's felt like the long, longest year of my life, yet at the same time, the shortest year of my life as well. And I, quite frankly, doing this podcast has
0: made it all the better. Well, you know what I find really quite incredible, and I'm sure in next week's episode we're going to be uh, we're going to be talking, you know, in more detail about that. Although we have a super awesomely exciting jam plan for you. Uh, for next week, so make sure you tune in, you know, next Thursday. But um, the thing that really amazes me about, you know, about one year of, of doing this is that, you know, we started this really, as all of you all know, we started this really as a form of self-therapy to get ourselves through, you know, pandemic and lockdown and all of that. Um, and it's just become so much fun and it's grown to the extent where, you know, we we had an opportunity to speak to so many really awesome guests and uh, and you know we learned a lot, and you know hopefully you out there learned a lot too. Um, but you know what amazes me is is that that you know our listener, our listeners, our the community around the Camera Shake podcast has has grown to where it is today, and that's the most amazing thing. Because mm-hmm. to be totally honest, I mean we didn't really start this you know, with the thought that we, you know, we want to reach lots of people really just started that because we wanted to have a conversation with each other. And we kind of figured, well, there's going to be some, there's going to be somebody out there who's interested in that sort of thing. But um, the support that we've had throughout this first year from all of you out there has been absolutely amazing. And the comments that we've gotten, the the emails that we've gotten, um, it's been terrific. So, uh, we, uh, we've mentioned it over the last few episodes but we've we've started uh, the Camera Shake community and you can join our community over at camerashakepodcast.com so if you go over to our website camerashakepodcast.com and the top left hand corner you'll see a little button that says join our community just head over uh, head over there you know uh, type in your stuff join our community and we will not only keep you updated with stuff that's coming up but we're also going to create some very specific, super awesome gems for you that you'll be able to, to access there. So for now, if you guys go over, sign up to our community, become... It doesn't cost anything, it's totally free, you know. um, But yeah, join us. And, uh, and then over the next two or three weeks, we're going to start producing some stuff that is going to be specifically, specially for you all. So uh, that should be really cool we've got some some fun stuff planned for that um but yeah i mean it's it is amazing isn't it every time we get a mail or a message or something uh from from one of our viewers it's you know it's a it's a it's a great feeling really it's i'm still stunned when we get them you know it's
1: humbled that people can you know take the time out to leave a comment or to send us an email or a facebook message or wherever Mm. wherever it may come from and you know that's it's a great feeling you know we like you say we started this for ourselves um in the beginning with a view that like you say one or two people may find something interesting and entertaining to listen to and it's gone way beyond that already and i'm i couldn't be more stoked about
0: it yeah well you don't. Know, we, we mentioned this quite regularly but uh, of course in these sort of analytics barely like in the you know the in the behind the scenes um of the um of the podcast itself you can kind of see where people are when they're listening um I mean, broadly speaking, so broad, within it, like a 500-mile radius or something, you can approximately mm. see where, where somebody is. Um, so you can see, like, for instance, somebody is in the Chicago, greater Chicago area or something like that. Um, but what's, what's been really quite uh, astonishing is how that's grown. So there's, there's like a little yellow dot that you see in a world map. And, you know, of course, when we first started, there was like one dot, which was us, <laughs> you know. And then there was <laughs> another dot, which was mainly your mom. <laughs> <laughs> All centered within 10 miles of this location. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, it's it's really awesome to see how that's grown around the world. So wherever you are, um, just know that we're extremely grateful that you're taking out the time um, to listen to, to our little workshop, uh, workshop, to our little podcast, um, and let us know where you are and how you listen to us. Um, do you prefer to watch the YouTube version? Uh, where we appear in full Technicolor, or do you like to listen to the audio version? Maybe you're in the car, you listen to it in the car, maybe you're listening to whilst you're doing work or whatever it is. It'd be super interesting for us um, to know how and why you listen to uh, the Camera Shake Podcast. Please get in touch. Um, Send us a DM on Instagram. It's at Camera Shake Podcast. Hit us up on Twitter. If you're on Twitter, we're, I don't know. Some people are on Twitter. Hit us up there it doesn't matter send us an email at, at gmail.com. um get in touch you know tie uh scroll to a pigeon and throw it over the pond <laughs> if you're that way inclined just get in touch and let us know because uh, we always love to hear from you and it'd be uh it'd be great now um so we are over here in the UK obviously and we are just kind of emerging from lockdown version three Mm. over here and i can see that eunuch have had a haircut is it that obvious Uh, yeah it's totally noticeable (laughs) for sure (laughs) yeah yeah um
1: finally got a haircut i I was a bit i I asked her to cut it just slightly longer than i normally would have had it previously um because it would. It had got so long that I think it would have been too drastic to go all the way back to my normal normal neck. so I kept it ever so slightly longer. Um, so I didn't go go crazy looking at
0: myself, but uh, yeah. Now I'm very happy to have had it done. Have you had had your hair cut? No, but you know what? Um, I saw a picture, um, like a selfie that I took. I think it came up with like November twenty nineteen. I uh, no, it must have been December twenty nineteen or something. So a few months before the pandemic. And my hair was about this long. And if I think about that, like now, it's, you know, if you, I mean, if I had straight hair, which I don't, but, you know, so if I had straight hair, it'd probably be down to about here, I reckon. God, I'd like to see you with straight hair. Um, Can we we straighten it one day? uh, I have, I have had it straightened before, yeah. Can I do it though? Uh, In fact, um, my wife and I went out (laughs) to like a, um, like a fancy dress party type of thing and um and so for that I had my hair straightened. It was funny actually because we, we walked into this this bar and nobody recognized me. <laughs> <laughs> what did you dress as? Say that again? What did you dress as? Oh, just like general kind of rock star kind of a thing, you know. So oh, right, but, right, um clearly. Right. That's me thinking Star Wars. Um, well Yeah, maybe next time. Next time I'll try some buns, some Danish, you know. <laughs> Sla-
1: slave layer and you could be Jabba the Hutt.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Or maybe you could be sla- slave slave layer. I wouldn't mind being Jabba the Hut. That should be fun. <laughs> <laughs> like a massive fat suit. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't mind doing that. That's cool. <laughs> so when you like when you went to uh, when you went to the headdresses, like it, it, is is everything opening up again? Like or it's what, what was what was that like? Did you feel that was that weirder? Yeah. Well, the first thing that
1: shocked me was um, that the high street, the surrounding area, was so much busier than it has been for a year. Mm. You know, it was incredibly busy. There are people queuing outside the pubs, as you can imagine, because so they they started to open. Um, uh, what frustrated me was. Masks had all but disappeared already. right? Okay. And it's just, that's not the idea. And don't get me wrong, you're at much lower risk at the moment. That's the reason things are starting to reopen. Hmm. But if you don't take, keep taking care of things like that, you're just going to send us back into another lockdown. No one wants that. No one. I can't handle another one. That would drive <laughs> me crazy. I'm in the best mood today I've been in a year. This is this is my my unhappy face. This is my really happy face. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I've just arranged to meet my best mate um, uh, at the weekend um, yeah. out, outside, take his dog for a walk and, and whatnot, and that couldn't make me happier. Mm. Got got my hair cut. We got jobs starting to get back on the cards. I'm, I know I'm going to get back to gigging soon. It's sunny outside what
0: more could be better right now brilliant so yeah this is me in a good mood not bad eh yeah so I had a chat with uh, I was chatting with uh, Adam Lerner uh, yesterday um, one of our former guests if you want to check out that episode uh, head over to YouTube or or scroll down in the episodes list on Apple podcast great episode anyway um, so I was chatting with him uh, yesterday he's over in New York City and he was um, was just saying how how New York is everything feels very different like things are not quite back to where they where they used to be, and the question was like, is it ever going to get back to yeah. the way that it used to be? Um, and so we were telling, I was saying, you know, we're, we are planning a little trip into London um, in in the near future, and you know, it's going to be interesting to see what it's like because I haven't actually been in London proper for a year, just over a year, yeah. and at least. I live right on the outskirts. I mean, it's not far. Yeah. You know? So um yeah. Yeah. this is going to be, that's going to be an interesting experience. I think it's going to, London's going to be a difficult one to judge
1: because y- you have to wonder how many companies are going to continue to allow their employees to work from home, hmm. whether that's on a permanent basis, whether that's on a one day a week, two days a week type basis. So London in itself might during the week, at least, might feel slightly quieter. Regardless, going
0: forward, that's a good thing. I think. I mean, there's there's no travel in at the moment still, so there's going to be no tourists or hardly any tourists. I would have, I would guess. Ah, good point. Yeah. You know, so that's that's got to feel because for anybody who's ever been to London, um, you're. I mean, it's one of these tourist centers um, in the world. You know, you're really overrun with tourists. I, I think. I don't, I don't know what the exact numbers are, but I think London has a population of about what nine million people or something like that, and but it swells onto like 20 million if you include all the tourists or something like that. So it's, yeah. you know, it's, uh, it's it's a pretty tightly packed city. But um, so I'm really curious to see what that's going to be like. Yeah, it's,
1: I, I want to see how people behave as well. That interests me in how people are mm. you know, going about it. I, I was talking to a friend of mine and um, he was saying on the day, restrictions started to ease on the uh 12th of april he was on his way to work and at half past seven in the morning there was a queue outside a trainer shop a trainer shop yeah Sneak. people have made an effort
0: to go and queue at seven o'clock in the morning to get trainers and for all of for all of y'all who don't know what trainers are sneakers that's what that is oh uh, yes Sneakers. (laughs) Why?
1: (laughs) But it makes no sense. Of all the things to go and do when shops reopen and things like that is not only is it a work day, but (laughs) you go and queue outside a trainer shop. Why? Oh, not a mask in sight, by the way, obviously. Oh, really? Okay. This uh, This is going to go wrong again, and I know it is. People just get so excited that things are getting back to normal hmm. that they forget everything else that we've been doing for the last twelve months.
0: Yeah, there I mean, I saw something oh, I read a I read a thing yesterday. I just said that like it was this latest lockdown was like ninety one days or something, which either seems. I remember when it was first announced, like just before Christmas. I think I don't think anybody thought it was going to last this long. No. Uh, I did. <laughs> did you,
1: yeah, every the every the to optimist. I say I did, but I, yeah, I am the the pessimist of uh, of everybody <laughs> we know. I don't see it as pessimism. I mean, it's it's I'm realistic. Mm. I knew it was going to last at least three months. Mm. Um, nine, are you sure it's
0: only ninety? I thought this was four months. This one, right? Eh? Yeah, ninety-one days. I think it said. Was, really? Was it? Yeah, because I think sure. it came into didn't it came into um it's January, effect. wasn't it? Was it like, uh, or, or was it? 27th of December or something like that. It was. Oh, some, that's right. Just yeah, around just Christmas. Stuff. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Of course, you're right. Yeah. So things are starting to open up again, which right now can only be a good thing. And it's, you know, like you mentioned earlier, projects are starting to come together at this point, which is mm. which has been good because I think we spent a lot of time over the last um, three months really just working on pre-production. You know, just planning things out. And we can now actually go and shoot those things. Um, and in fact, I mean, we we already started started with our first project last week. That was uh, that was really quite good. You know, that was great just fun to get back into it.
1: Yeah, well, great first project to start start back with, right? Um, yeah, it was really really good fun. Um, more of what we like you know, we enjoy to do, It's that's what made it an easy, you know, easy kind of day. And, you know, so we, we worked on a promotional video for, um, a, a woodworker, a furniture maker. Mm. And, you know, that it was one of those days where it was freezing. You, we were getting covered in sawdust and all sorts of things like that um having allergic reactions though in the evening (laughs) as well Uh, the tragedy and the tragedy (laughs) yeah the tragedy and getting to use um from my perspective getting to use the new cameras properly Mm. so the c70 was out all day the r6 was out all day on a gimbal oh i have to say you've not seen the footage yet Mm. i have and it is spectacular what both of those cameras are producing is stunning now the whole day was shot in in slow-mo so both were filming in uh, c7 was in 4k 120 and but the r6 doesn't do 4k and 120. it can only do uh, it does 4k 60 Mm. or 1080 120 so that was set to 1080 120. now looking at that footage i will push anybody to say that that isn't 4k that's how good the 1080 footage coming out of the R6 is absolutely incredible in fact i've not even i've started to cut together that that video i haven't even put the C70 footage in it yet hmm. so i am blown away on the first real world use of the R6 And I've used to see somebody a few times now. That is just a stunning piece of kit. But the R6 video is incredible. You don't want the R5 in that super sharp stuff. That doesn't look good. Hmm. No one wants super sharp. I'm taking sharpness off my footage. (laughs) Hmm. You know, I'm doing whatever I can to make it look smoother. There's nothing worse than seeing someone's face super sharp. It's not natural. Looks weird. So, you know, you take some mid-detail, you take, you know, I'm using a um, uh, mist filter most of the time as well uh, on top, and that just takes the slight edge of everything. So when people say, oh, you shooting in 4K, shooting in shooting you know, in high def, and you see that raw footage back and you, you grade it, I don't particularly like the look of it. Mm. If it's not done right, it doesn't look good. This 1080 footage has is tack sharp, yet it's smooth, all at the same time. I, I, honestly, I can't wait for you to see it because
0: mm. I promise you, you're going to be blown away, well, absolutely blown away. I mean, all I've seen so far is like little snippets that you filmed on your phone off of your screen and then, yeah. you know, <laughs> send it over and then already sounded, you know, well, it looked pretty cool. Um, well, you're going to be blown away, I promise mm. you. It's that good. I mean, this was really a little bit uh, of a trial by fire, really, as far as um best, the new best Canon way. gear is concerned. Yeah, I mean, it was. It was like you know, straight in there. I mean, we, you know, there was a lot of um, there was a video component to this to this particular shoot and uh, and a photography element um, as well. And you know, we spent probably a day and a half shooting video, I guess, and about a half a day doing the um, doing the photo that. stuff. But but it was uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's always difficult when you're you know, although you've done a lot of trying out and a lot of trialing or whatever, um, but when when you change system in particular, I mean, I guess it's the same with any new type of gear, but especially when you're changing camera system, you know, that's... Yeah. Uh, going into the first actual commercial job with that, that's, you know... It's nerve-wracking.
1: I mean. it, was, it was nerve-wracking the start of that first day, mm. just to go, well, what if they don't perform to how I'm expecting them to perform. What if I can't navigate myself around the menus when I need to fast enough and, you know, being quick and on the ball so I don't miss something that's going on, you know, all those thoughts run through. And thankfully they didn't transpire in that way. It all worked out really, really well. Mm. A couple of things that I learned um, on that day about about these cameras. Um, One is I I need to rework um, some of my um, function buttons and remap some of those right. so I can access things that I need there and then yeah. on the spot a bit quicker rather than having to hit into the menu. Um, you know, part, one, of, one of those is, um, you know, mapping face tracking versus sort of spot um, uh, spot autofocus. Mm. Um, the other thing that bugged me all day was my gimbal. And so that's the Ronin S. And... I've had lots of trouble with that over the past couple of years mm. and it, it doesn't often perform all that well, but recent, and like before this shoot, cause I, I knew we were going to want to use that. We're going to want that super smooth, um, footage. I did a lot of work with it and reset it up from scratch, you know, not just, you know, Literally physically setting it up, mm. but going back through the software, making sure it was updated as well, resetting all of that to scratch. And I got it to a place where it was working really, really well. Mm. And, but on the day, the problem I was facing was it would, out of nowhere, for no apparent reason, it would just go, mm. yeah, was there was and a weird start shaking. There was a weird jitter going on there sometimes. Yeah. It was strange. And so obviously, you can't use it like that. So you have to turn it, the gimbal off and turn it back on again, which takes, Ten seconds, all in all, mm. that's not, okay. It's not the end of the world, but that's not okay in a you know a pro setting. You don't want to be doing that.
0: And if it happens in the middle of a shot that you can't take that shot again, it's gone. Yeah, that's, it's gone. It's the other thing is, of course, you know, when you have like in this situation, you have the client there all of the time. Oh, there's something you want to avoid. You know, um, you don't absolutely. Really... So, I mean, I mean, luckily, of course. You know, in this particular case, our client was, uh, you know, was really relaxed. I mean, we, we did speak to him about the fact that we're going to be using some some new gear, yeah. and, you know. Um, so all of, that, all of that was fine in this particular case. But generally speaking, of course, the last thing you want to do is, you know, for your, your gear to play up. So one thing I started to
1: do on the start of the second day
0: was there are two things that you can
1: do with that gimbal, hmm. like from a that you don't have to manually go in. Once you open the app and you connect to it, you can do a balance test, which you should always do regardless. As soon as you've reset it up, every time you do a quick balance test and it makes sure that the camera is balanced and that you're not putting too much strain on each of the motors. Um, and the second thing that you can do, which I didn't know, I don't know if this is a, I didn't realise, or you don't have to, or what it may be, but you can do a, a calibration as well. Right. okay which as my understanding is and anyone out there who's got an S running S please comment and correct me if I'm I'm wrong here but my understanding was once you've got that set that should be about it however once I I did that again on the start of the second day after I'd ban- done a balance test I did the system calibration too that jitter didn't happen right so I don't know whether the system calibration i had done previously just didn't work very well for whatever reason, or whether you should run that every single time you're going to use it. I'm erring on the side of, I'm going to run it every single time before I use it.
0: Yeah, so there's a a strange parallel to my GGI drone, Um, because the thing there is the gimbal on that needs to be recalibrated now and again. And so uh, pretty randomly... It'll just ask you to recalibrate. And that usually happens oh, right. after startup. It doesn't happen every time. It happens every so often. Um, and it'll just ask you to recalibrate the gimbal. Then you can do a little dance, you know, with that, and then then it's fine after yeah. that. But I thought exactly the same. Originally, I thought, like, well, why should I do it again? I've just done it like last week, you know. Yeah. Um, so whether that's I don't know. I mean, it seems, you know. Maybe this is a normal thing. So for any anyone out there listening, if you have a Ronin-S um, gimbal, do you ex- are you experiencing the same thing? You know, get in touch and let us know. Or maybe maybe our gimbal is faulty. Who knows? No, but be exactly. Thing.
1: exactly. But, you know, if you have to run system calibration just before every time you use it, actually, it's not the end of the world. It's mm-hmm. really not. It takes takes seconds. Mm. It's not a big deal. So if that is the case, I'm, I'm okay with that. Mm. That's all right. The downside, the other downside that we have with this Ronin-S is that the C70 does not, cannot be used on the Ronin-S. It's too big. Yeah. You know, form factor. It's just, the size of it is too much. Weight is fine, but the size of it is just, you can't balance it. It doesn't work. Mm. Um. However, the new Ronin-S... I want to say it's called the Ronin-S2, but I could be wrong with that. You'll see it out there. It looks a bit different. It's got a red stripe on it, that one. That does fit the C70. So I've got a bit of a decision to start making is, am I happy just using the R6 on the Ronin-S and the C70 always on a tripod or handheld? Mm. Or am I going to be in a situation where I need that C70 to be on a gimbal?
0: The honest answer is right now is I don't know. I mean, the interesting thing there is is really that you know now, of course, you've. I think you said earlier you haven't really um, incorporated the C70 footage at this point into the yeah. fine edit, so it'll be interesting to see how that compares. But at the same time, of course, the results that we've seen coming from the R6 have been phenomenally good. So uh, the question is is there really a need for this, you know, to use the C70 on a gimbal at this point or not? And it's, that's going to be, that's going to be an interesting thing to find out. But yeah. how did you, how did you find um, working with both of those cameras, like in, in comparison, uh, first of all, in comparison to each other, but also then in comparison to the Panasonic um, G5S. <laughs> GH5S. Yeah. That, that you're used to using. Cause I mean, that's, that's the thing, isn't it? When you're, um, when you're changing system, you're really used to one camera system. You're used to the way it handles. Yeah. You're used to the the menu, of course. And then you switch to a different manufacturer. Everything's different. That in itself is a bit of a stress factor. But like, how did it actually feel working with these cameras, yeah. like in action? You know, on an actual project in comparison to the to the GH 5s
1: Yeah. I, what it it was, it was good. It was. I felt as comfortable with those as I ever did with the GH5S. That's the the short answer. The slightly longer answer would be that I've put time into these two Canon cameras at home. Mm. I haven't just gone into a job with 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 them there. I have spent as much time as I can at home knowing the menu systems, knowing what they can do. Even if I haven't physically been able to do certain things, but I know what they can do. I know what, where these settings are. I know what the, the autofocus can do, um, and I know where to go change that quickly if I need to. Um, I can't remember. I think it was Bure Perry, and we were talking about um, cameras. And actually, just sat there on a the camera with the camera in my hand one mm. night, no even lens on it, just right one change, and I'm just changing it while watching the television. Mm. You know so I can get my hand around where things are. And so I put legwork in, in advance to make sure that I'm as comfortable as possible when I'm in a, you know, out there actually doing a shoot. Mm. Um, the There are differences between the two as to how they operate, which kind of makes sense given the style of cameras that they both are. Um, you know, one thing that you, you know, you change regularly regularly, um, Particularly when you're you're moving around, is you're changing your ISO. Um, you know, we're in a very small space, and we couldn't move our light around the, too much, and we were a very short time too. So we had to go over, you know, almost a set it and forget it type lighting situation with mm. some movement where we where we really needed to. But that meant I needed to go in and adjust ISO um, every so often, depending on what part of the shop uh, we were we were in. Mm. Um, so, you know, the lens that I was using was primarily the 35 prime, almost exclusively other than one or two shots, but on the RF lenses, you can change, you can set the ISO to the front, the new dial that they've got on it at the front of the lens, Cool. which is great. So that's consistent between them, but I don't find myself going there on the back of the R6. The wheel is the ISO, right? But on the C70, you have to go into a menu. Oh, what's you have to touch the screen to then change it, which is cool, which is fine. So I've just got to get used to always doing it on the front dial mm. um, or always doing it in the same place just so that I can move between those cameras a bit more seamlessly. Mm. Um, the other difference that you have between them is um, the C70 does face tracking, but the R6 will do eye tracking, which... Um, Which, for all intents and purposes, doesn't really make any difference in in that world. But there are situations, depending on the angle that you're getting, where one will be better than the other. So there are a couple of shots where we've got got his arm because he's lifting something down, but you can still see his eye. Mm. Face tracking on the C70 might have a slight issue with that and might focus on his arm. And we were shooting super shallow as well. But the R six will still grab its eye, um, which is which is nice. So it's they've got their pros um, and they've got their cons. So you know?
0: what what happens when the eye goes out of shot? Let's say if somebody turns the head and then comes back, does it um, does it catch the eye again, or it, has it just does yeah. it just lose it out? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. it if it's got its eye and it, the eye goes away, hmm. it'll take over. Uh, it will try and take over what it believes is the head, right, or the face. Um and if then it can't if it, if that then disappears, it basically uh, uh if I remember correctly, I don't think I've put it in that situation actually where the head then disappears. Mm. I I don't think it focuses at all, it will stay where it last focused. Right. So it will seek um and just or seek and just latch on to something that is just close to where
0: it was last in focus. I'm always thinking you know, if somebody if somebody wears like a baseball hat, let's say, you know, and the um the beak, you know, like if somebody like down. lowers yeah. their lowers their head or something, and the beak comes down and obscures the eye, nope. and then you come up. To that. So I'm always wondering how good it actually is um, at latching back onto the eye. You know, latching
1: back onto the eye, it's brilliant. Right. As soon as it recognizes an eye, it is on it straight away, mm. straight away. Um, but when it doesn't see the eye, it will latch to the face if you've got that that switched on. So what happens if you Um, get two people in the frame? Like which eye does it let on? Right. That's interesting. Right. So this is where, um, I started to, that, that's one of the other issues I started to find on, on the day it will pick one out. Now, this is my lack of knowledge and my, my ignorance about how to work my way around the R6 at that point. You can switch between them and decide which one you want to do. Right. I didn't know how to do that on the day. So where he had his apprentice in there, mm-hmm. it was latching onto him where actually I wanted it to go well, on. That's what I it, didn't want that to be on that's him. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I quickly just switched to um, sort of one spot and just put it where I wanted it for that because there wasn't going to be much movement and I got the shot I wanted and that's fine. But I didn't know how to do that. And that's something I need to learn before we go out, go out again because you can switch between them. It's probably a simple fact of tapping on the screen. It's probably that. But I don't know that for sure. Um, but, but I've seen it in videos before. I went to, I even purchased the R6, so that was something that you could, you could actually do. I
0: wonder what would happen if you just, uh, if you just <laughs> aimed it at a sea of eyes. A sea of eyes. Yeah, which eyes well, would it be? I'd feel very uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> there's <that's> a cool <laughs> video I saw the other day. It's like somebody, um, somebody opens a dumpster, and basically inside is like there's like twenty raccoons or something, all just. Look at you can at how these eyes go. <laughs> 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 Wicked, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So yeah, take that, r six. I focus.
1: <laughs> um, what else was there to to
0: say about those two on the on the day? Um, so what? Like when you, in terms of using the cameras, and in terms of the outcome, i.e., the the files, how do they compare to the GH5s, because okay. you know on past projects we got some awesome footage of the G5. I mean, there was yeah. you know you can't say it's not a bad camera. Anybody who owns the G5 or is considering getting one second hand or whatever, you know, you're not getting a bad camera there at all. It's absolutely still a killer. It's still a killer
1: camera. I, I used that. I used I used that GH5s for a long time, yeah. and never once did I complain about the footage that came out of it? It was always great, yeah. except for the noise on occasion. Right, But the, if you, you've got the lighting right, the picture is fantastic. Now, the picture on these cameras is better. And there could be lots of little factors around that. But what I'm finding is... Now, I'm going to use a word which... I. Don't really want to use, but I can't think of another one right now. (laughs) The footage straight out of camera looks more cinematic, right? Straight away. And what I'm kind of meaning by that is it's got, it's super sharp where it should be super sharp. And it's got slightly soft detail, softer detail where it should have slightly softer detail, like in the skin. Hmm. Okay. It has that straight out of camera. The GH5S does not have that. It is all super crisp and super sharp. And Mm. so the best way, another way to describe it is the GH5S really does, the picture that comes out looks great, but does have really quite a digital edge to it. Right. The C70 and the R6 don't have that digital edge in quite the same way. It's a lot more like you want it to be to begin with, so you have to work less to get it to look great.
0: See, the one thing I would say, like coming from a you know stills photography uh, point of view, you know, when I saw some of the imagery, imagery even just on the back of the camera, um, you know, on the day, um, especially with a lot of the shallow depth of field stuff, um, you know, where you were shooting like wide open and you went for like that really blurred out bokeh type of background, that bokeh, that background blur looked. Just awesome, just there in camera. I mean, it was, yeah. it was just you know, and that's really uh, very often where you see the difference between different cameras and especially different lenses um, and different manufacturers to to a point, um, and different sets of formats actually. Um, it, blur isn't blur. It's not you yeah. know it, some some um, some cameras and some lenses just produce a nicer type of blur or type of yeah. bokeh than others and that was the one thing i think that i noticed straight away was just how nice that looked it was just super yeah. schmoof. and that kind of adds to that whole cinematic you know experience does. When, you, when you look at a shot like that um i think it really does and
1: you know it's uh, so so as i saying so that was a, the 35 rf um prime the cheaper version not their super duper expensive one right um yeah, so it's like it's like a five hundred pound lens as opposed to like the two thousand pounds or more um, sort of pro, pro version. Mm. This is just, and this goes down to one. Uh, I think it's one point two. It goes down at one point. I forget. Yeah. Um, so we we are wide open for all of that. You can't get that on a GH five. It's my, it's micro four thirds. So everything's double, mm. um, and. So, you know, that would go down to the lenses that I was using would go down to 2.8, but that's like a shooting from the same distance. And yes, without getting into the debate, you know, and the real nitty gritty about detail, about how big the lens is, you know, the diameter of the lens mm. and how that's actually what's influencing it. The the up the, re, the real world usage is that you don't get nearly as much bokeh at 2.8 on a GH5S as you would at 2.8 on a full frame mm. just it's just the way it is it's the reality now there's gonna be loads of comments about that i know there is that's not actually what changes i get that but i'm just trying to prove you know make a point mm. so you can't get that on the gh5s no matter what you do you just can't get it mm. um so it's unfair comparison in that respect but even if you were to set things the same and you were getting equivalent bokeh on both cameras, the GH5S would still look digitally sharp versus what these two are producing. Mm. It's just... uh, The picture that comes through is just scary, scary good on these. Now, the the other real big difference between them is the autofocus systems. As much as I love that GH5S, the autofocus is about the worst thing I've ever used. (laughs) it is really not as bad as nikon no no it's not as bad as that but it is awful Mm. it is so bad so bad it would never do what you wanted it to do at any decent speed whatsoever it's just was very unpleasant to use that's partly the way i used it partly the way i film but for me it never worked Mm. this nailed it every time on most of it, on on the lenses that i use occasionally the 35 had trouble picking up focus and i had to kind of force it give it a second it it did struggle a little bit i think that's partly due to the low light that we were in i think it' was potentially partly due to the super shallow depth of field that we were using as well it just struggled a little bit because as soon as i popped up that aperture a little bit it it got the focus. So there's a little bit of play there. Um, it's worth considering, but I don't get that nearly as much if I use the 15 to 35 uh, Canon, for example, mm. not nearly as much, but that 35 occasionally it has a little hard time grabbing that first bit of focus. Not a big deal though. It, give it a few seconds and you're, you're back in. Mm. You're back in.
0: So there are the other, other key, key kind of differences between them. Well, this wasn't really the only change that's happened recently because uh, not only you know did you go through the whole thing of like changing cameras and camera system, but you've also <laughs> changed the way you edit stuff. Um, in the background, so that's another <laughs> another massive change. So, um, so we we spoke a few episodes ago. Um, we spoke with Dunnar about DaVinci Resolve, and so we figured that we might as well you know we might as well give it a shot. I mean, it's, it's worth trying out, and so you went and. Uh, originally downloaded the free version of DaVinci yeah. Resolve just to have a play with it. Mm-hmm. And then it, very much like Dana, you ended liking it a lot, and now you're in it yeah. to win it.
1: I My initial uh, intention with downloading that free version was, I just want to see what people are talking about. I want to know. I want to come from a, a place of knowledge when we do do talk about it and, you know, editing software. I want to know my way around it, you know, a good idea of what it can and can't do, things like that. And so I just pulled in bits of footage and just messed around, you know, mostly with grading than anything else. And then I thought, okay, let me try out this, our latest project in there. i just started bringing stuff in. And before I knew it, I was halfway through editing it. I thought, this is brilliant. This is absolutely brilliant. Now, at first, when you do look at DaVinci Resolve, I think it's a bit cluttered Mm -hmm. as an interface. I think it's quite cluttered. I think they could have done a better job with that. I still think they can do a better job with that. Now, it might be, you know, as I grow into it, I'll start being able to rearrange the workspaces a bit better, a bit more to my liking, Mm. get rid of the things that I don't use, um, making bigger the things that I do use, all of that kind of stuff that will happen, I'm sure. But first impressions is cluttered. However, when you get past that, and you know where you're looking for certain things, the ease of use and the quality is sensational. If you look at grading, um, you know, the the color wheels that are in there, you get two lots of color wheels. You don't get that in um, Premiere. And they do different things. There's I think, a misunderstanding about what they do and people think that they do the same thing. They don't at all. Um, so you have... Let's just take um, let's just take the highlights area of, a, of an image for a second. You've got one set of primaries, which are you've got... Um, the highlights is called gain. Okay? You've got gain, gamma, and lift. Mm. Shadows, midtones, highlights. Think of it that way. So the gain wheel affects a lot of the, the, most of the highlights. When you switch to the other sets of wheels, which is called shadows, midtones, and highlights, I would think of that more as blacks, whites, and uh, some kind of midpoint. Because when you use those, they affect only the upper, upper end of those highlights. Mm. So if you massage the two, you can get yourself a really nice roll off. Hmm. What people, I think, are doing with Resolve occasionally, because they haven't learned what lift, gamma, and gain do, is they go straight to what they know, the terminology that they know, shadows, midtones, and highlights. You kind of would, right? And they start bringing those highlights down, and they're only bringing down a little bit, and suddenly your picture starts falling apart because actually you're using the wrong wrong tool. But to have the both done in that way, and to affect the colour on both as much, you know, in all of those wheels is fantastic. You can't do that, do it in the same way in Premiere, not with that amount of ease. The other thing that I'm really loving is this node-based workflow. Mm. You can do everything. So you, you, you load up a node, and you can just do all your colour correction in that one node. Done. You, you don't have to do anything else. You just carry on and do it there. A better workflow is that you do your primary correction in the first node, for example. You then add a new node, you adjust, you do your work with saturation. That might be that you're just boosting the overall saturation. It might be that you're reducing the background saturation. Um, you might then add another node, which will be um, to do with, you know, there might be a noise reduction node, there might be a sharpening node, there might be uh, your general look and color um, grade node going on. I love that because then you can see your progress as you go and you can go, oh, that's too sharp. Where Where is it? You just know exactly where it is and you just turn that off or you just go in and dial that back.
0: The other great thing about so it, is that the, I found it so far... Is that just a different way of using adjustment layers though? I mean, it is... Yeah, uh, kind of, yeah. but it's not all over your timeline. Right. It's not all over your timeline.
1: It's just a cleaner... More To me, certainly, a more logical way of working. It's more modern, I guess, is another way of putting it as well. You know, coming from the audio world originally, this reminds me of Studio One, which is my door of choice, Mm. whereas Premiere Pro reminds me of Pro Tools. Right. Okay. It's old-fashioned way of working i guess is a way of putting it and studio one is a much more this is how we're working today it's quick it's intuitive it's drag and drop it's all of that kind of stuff Mm. and resolve reminds me of that which is why i think i've suddenly just fallen in love with it and just drawn to it straight away you can mix layers together i'm going to use layers but then nodes in a really easy way you can pick your skin out easily and then have your grade only affect everything else around it and not the skin mm. With without really thinking about it. You just do it. You're not limited to your old um, like uh, vignettes that you have in Lumetri and Premiere Pro. It's just quicker to create a separate node with a mask on and put the mask actually where you want it and mm. affects what part, you want to actually maybe it's just the midtones you want to bring down in the vignette maybe you want to bring it all down it's so much easier the tracking in it is fantastically good really quick um the audio benefits in it oh i just i was going to say a, a swear word there but it all over premiere pro mm. it's it, premiere pro has nothing on it um from its internal audio abilities um I can't even remember what the Adobe version of their audio software is called. Audition? Audition. Audition. It is. Hmm. is awful. I hate using that thing. It's trying to be a door, but really badly. Hmm. Resolve has it all in built in. It's not trying to be a door. It's trying to be video software that does audio well. Hmm. And that's exactly what it does. I will fly. I flew around that doing effects and levels and my general plugin. It handles my um external VST plugins so much better than Premiere Pro. Resolve loads up in seconds. Premiere doesn't. It shuts down in a split second. Premiere doesn't. Um exporting. Rendering. Quick guess. Quick estimate is twice as fast as premiere pro um and while i understand why premiere works in a certain color space for broadcasts in the way that it does it does mean a separate lut needs to be applied if you're going to put it on if you want to play it back in quick time or you want to put it on youtube so the colors go to the r- right space the gammas change in the right way you don't have to do that in
0: resolve so what about um what about this is the basic editing uh, part of it because because I know um, the thing about DaVinci Resolve is is that there's a free version, and then there's the paid for version, yeah. and of course they're not following the uh, the subscription model. It's basically you have to buy the the shebang if you want to. But from what I understand, I haven't actually tried it out myself, but from what you've been telling me, is that the just the free version in itself is actually already extremely powerful. So I'm just thinking, you know, for people who are maybe you know trying to get into video. And thinking about, okay, well, what software should I use to actually start editing my video? We're, we're talking about, you know, some very basic editing, as in like cutting things together and do transitions and that sort of thing.
1: Um, yeah.
0: What do you think about uh, DaVinci Resolve for somebody like that? Somebody who's just getting into video. Um, is that, do you think it's a good choice? I mean, even if we're just talking about the free version for a minute. Yeah, I think it absolutely is. I'm, we'll put it
1: this way I'm getting free to edit. And I've only run, come into a couple of issues so far with that means I need the paid for version to be able to finish the edit that I'm doing in there. One is that it can't accept the C70 files um, because it's their Canon uh, .MXF, I believe they're called. Doesn't recognise them, won't play those. Need the free the pro version for that. MP4s from the R6, no problem. No problem. That's one issue that I've run into. Um, the other issue is that there are noise reduction isn't available um, until you use the pro version. Not an issue right now. Grain isn't available until you use the pro version. Um, and there are some effects which that and that was just me glancing through. Mm. I wasn't going to use them. But that's it. Noise reduction, um, the C seventy files. So I'm sure there's probably some other file types out there which you would have an issue with. And um, what was the other thing? Oh, grain.
0: All right, that that you don't need any of those. Yeah. So I mean, in other words, you know, if you're if you're just looking to get into video editing and you know, you're not exactly... I mean, most likely, if you're just getting into video editing, you're most likely not going to be shooting on a C70 in the first place. So your camera is probably going to be fine, right? Yeah. Uh, and I'm pretty sure, um, you know, you can find information about exactly which uh, which types of files are compatible and which ones aren't um, online. But, you know, I'm just wondering, because with Adobe, of course, um, if you wanted to use Premiere Pro, you'd have to fork out for the subscription, which actually... It's, it, you're starting to get quite pricey when you're talking about yeah. the whole creative suite, which Premiere Pro is a part of. So with Adobe's pricing structure, you've got the photography uh, version of, you know, where you pay for Photoshop and Lightroom. That's quite cost-effective at round about £10 a month, something like that. Maybe it's £12 around that. But then when it comes to video editing... You need to really fork out for the whole Creative Suite, which sets you back a good. Like, what is it? Like fifty quid or something like that? Fifty quid. Yeah, 50 or is it 40 quid. Something. I've worked out that I'm going to save thirty quid a month. Yeah, so I mean, you know, you're paying around about fifty bucks, fifty pounds um, a month. So that's you know that's substantial. And of course, if you're thinking about uh, Final Cut Pro, which is also, especially if you're when you're first getting into video editing, a Final Cut is a really intuitive, um, great editor, which allows you to do a ton of things but it also sets you back several hundred pounds because that's one of these things that you have to buy outright as well. So I think that's where DaVinci is a really, or sounds like it's a really good option. You know, if you think like you could start with a free version, you can use that for quite a long time until you get to the point where you might have to upgrade to the paid version because there's some very specific things that you might want to do. Or you (laughs) you know, you've got enough money. I want to decide to invest into a C70. You know what I mean? mean, uh (laughs) I mean that's that's the sort of thing I think. Um, so, for for anybody getting into video editing or trying to make the transition from photography to video, Davinci sounds like really sounds like the perfect choice. I'm blown
1: away mm-hmm. with the software. I really, really am. And how you get that level or that number of features
0: in a free version? baffles me they also do this um uh, this fun thing where whereby if you if you're used to editing a final cut on premiere uh, you can actually cl- very easily switch your keyboard shortcuts you can to the system that you're that you're used to so you don't have to learn a whole bunch of new um keyboard shortcuts but you just you know click on whatever final yeah. cut and then all your final cut shortcuts work in davinci resolve which i think is genius i okay. think that's a great it's a great move certainly to get you going within within
1: davinci i've chosen not to do that um, because I've never been a p- particular fan of Premiere's shortcuts anyway. Um, so I ended up changing keys and f- keyboard shortcuts for my own and things like that, right? Um, but so I'm just, I'm trying to learn DaVinci's as they are mm-hmm. and then changing ones that I don't like there to um, uh, my, my own. You know, if I end up going to somewhere else, I'm editing on there and just resolving there. I,
0: I can use it free flowing then without going. Oh, I haven't got all my keyboard your board shortcuts. Yeah, see, I'm, <laughs> I'm really terrible with shortcuts. I've just about got my head around the Final Cut shortcuts, <laughs> so I would probably, <laughs> if I, if I <laughs> were to switch to DaVinci Resolve, which I'm, you know, I might try it out. Um, I, you know, I think I probably most likely would switch. You know, would basically turn on the the Final Cut shortcuts for that because it's yeah. just because I've just literally gotten around that. But, um, yeah. but yeah. So if you are listening to this and you're already uh, using DaVinci. Um, get in touch, let us know what you think. Maybe you've switched from Final Cut or from Premiere or from some other um, video editing software to DaVinci and let us know what your experiences are. Um, And likewise, if you are using Final Cut or Premiere or something like that, um, let us know why you prefer to use uh, the software that you do. Because again, it's really interesting for us to hear from you to see what your preferences are and why. Um, I think everybody's different. Um, It just sounds like, like I said earlier, you know, if if you're thinking about getting into video, then DaVinci Resolve might actually. We're not being. This video is not being sponsored by DaVinci Resolve at all, by the way, or by um, by anybody for that matter. But if you do want to sponsor us, please get in touch. Also, <laughs> just saying that. <laughs> but um, um, but yeah, it, it sounds like a it sounds like a cool thing to try out. Um, again, you know, if that's what you've got in mind, you know, head over to um. To DaVinci Resolve, check it out. Let us know what you think. Um, it'd be great to hear from you. The only other
1: downside to the paid-for version right now, um, this is something Dunham mentions, and I, can't, I believed him, obviously, but I kind of also didn't believe him, because I was just, no, no, is if you want to buy the paid, the, the full version, um, you actually need to purchase it from a shop. You can't just <laughs> yeah. order it online and get the activation code. You need something physical to come through the I, post. I
0: remember him saying it, and I thought, like, wow, that sounds so 1996.
1: Yeah?
0: It's like, <laughs> well, I was just, it's like popping into PC World to pick up your latest copy,
1: copy of Windows 95. And it's like, what? what is that all about? Maybe they'll sort it in due course. And they oddly do a version with a dongle as well. I haven't used dongles since I used
0: cubase years ago so see i think we should get somebody from black magic on the on the show at some point and actually question about this because i'd be really interested in as to why they've decided to go yeah. with that model and they may very well have a really good reason for it that we just don't understand you know because yeah. we're heathens but who knows i mean you know would be uh, it would be interesting to to know why um but hey do you know what's going to be
1: because i i got that paid for version free today Funny enough right um, what's going to be interesting is, as I understand it, that, you know, when you get free software a lot, actually, you just pay for an activation license and it unlocks mm. within that same software, the, the rest of the features, Yeah, right? That often happens. As I understand it, this isn't, the, it's not the case here. It's a fresh, full install. Right. So I'm wondering if there are other benefits under the hood of speed or anything mm. like that with the paid for version. I will let you know. Hmm. But thankfully, if you do start a project in the free version, it still it works in the paid-for
0: version, even though you've reinstalled it all. So, yes. thank God. Cool. So I take it you, you've, you've edited our, our latest commercial video in DaVinci Resolve. Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, that'll, that'll be interesting. It was fun to edit again. Do you think that, that there are any uh, any time savings to be made? Switching to the editor? Or, or do you think that's by and large yeah. pretty much the same? There's two... The, the two biggest time
1: savings right now from it are its export ability compared to Premiere. <laughs> Front cut. Seems to be... <laughs> cut. I don't want to talk about Final Cut. <laughs> <We're> not, <laughs> <laughs> um, it appears to be far superior, um, mm-hmm. but time will tell because this episode, as you're watching it, would have also been edited in Resolve. Dun, dun, dun. So I will <laughs> let you know in next time. Perhaps when we're out, um, we can talk
0: about that a bit more. So if our faces are overly orange in this episode, then you know why. <laughs> um, and the other, and actually, um, let me just let me just say this in order for, in order for you to see it. Of course, you have to head over to the YouTube version of this uh, of this podcast. Of if, course, if you yes. are listening on Apple Podcast, you know you can see um, our lovely faces. <laughs> in our orange faces um, <laughs> on YouTube. so just Green. Green. I'm going green. I'm going to make it look like Sony footage. Whoa. Okay, cool. So yeah, <laughs> if you want to see our green or orange uh, faces, then head over to YouTube, uh, youtube.com forward slash camera Imagine. shake. Um, and whilst you're there, why don't you do this flavor and throw us a solid and just, you know, hit that subscribe button and the bell and all the shebang that YouTubers mm. always tell you to do because, you know, there's a reason for it. Cool. So the the other benefit
1: I'm foreseeing right now, or speed um, enhancement, is typically I'll edit audio in my door in Studio One, export that, and then sync it. Right. Because Premiere's ability to run. Multiple plugins, external audio plugins, and things like that is poor. Mm. And Audition,
0: I just can't even look at it. It just drives me insane. See, that's an interesting thing, actually, because that's the one thing I've only uh, relatively recently, or sort of over the last year, discovered about Final Cut is that it actually works seamlessly with Logic in exactly that way. Yeah. And I never knew that. So, they have that dynamic link as well, right? Yeah, exactly. So that's, that is really cool as far as the audio is concerned, because there's a lot yeah. you can do in Logic. Um, and I uh, know, although I mean, personally, I've only really ever used that maybe on two projects in in the past, um, especially on some sort of slightly bigger projects. But um, but yeah, so that's that has it simplified the whole process yeah um, a lot. Yeah. And, and it does
1: help, and and that's what I think the other benefit is going to be for this result for Resolve is that the its audio ability in there is so much better. Mm. And intuitive, and in the way I think it should be working, because I'm—it's what more than anything, it's because what I'm used to. Sure, you know, if you're not used to anything before, actually, you'll find Premiere's audio ability probably great. That's right, but yeah, absolutely. I'm used to something better because I've come from an audio background, yeah. and you know what I mean. So they're the two big and big things because now I'm not—I don't have to wait an hour for that to export mm. out Studio One, yeah. For, you know, for the, the length of
0: these podcasts, and then import it. I don't have to wait that time anymore. Yeah. And of course, it's just going to be done. I mean, it always depends on uh, what it is that you're actually editing. I mean, you know, if you're, if you're doing, you know, if you're editing something that's predominantly voice and let's say, you know, background music track, th- you know, that's in itself relatively straightforward. Once you start having multiple um, audio tracks because you're, you know, recording an orchestra or, or whatever, uh, then things become a little bit more complicated. Um, As far as the audio is concerned, or you know, if you're having fully fully sound or um, all sorts yeah. of different additional sound sources, you know, especially things that you have to match. Like, I mean, as simple as this podcast may seem, it's actually extremely sophisticated under the hood, clearly. Because it actually is, yeah, you know, this I probably have 10 plugins running on each of our voices, yeah, because the, the problem, uh, of course, that you're well, that you may not be aware of if you're listening to this, but of course, if you are watching this on YouTube, you would be uh, you would be aware of this. Nick and me are not in the same room for the time being because um, because of the COVID situation in the UK as it is, where we can't um, actually be in the same room. I think that's going to change very soon. In fact, over the next few weeks, ho- hopefully. But as it is, uh, since since um, December, we've been recording this podcast from our respective homes. So I'm in my house. Nick's in his house we're using different mics um different computers obviously to record the thing it's a different environment um to give you an example uh where i am at the moment in my sort of office space um i have to hang lots of different blankets around me which you can't see at the moment but in order to kind of to hone the the audio in a little bit because this room is is quite um reverby because we've got a lot of you know, hard walls around me and so on and so forth, whilst, uh, and there's also no carpet on the floors. So it's like hardwood flooring. Uh, whilst when we're recording it uh, on our set, which is at Nick's place, we've got carpets, there's a lot more furniture and um, the room's a little bit smaller overall. So so the audio just sounds different. It doesn't sound as reverbery And so for you to match these two audio sources, it actually takes a lot more processing in post to make it sound like we're more or less in the same space. So that is an added complication that we i'm guessing we don't really have when we're recording on the same set although we're still using different mics and i'm sure that some adjustment needs to be done for that but overall it's it will be a little easier it's just
1: yeah and i'm a you know i can i can be a bit of an audio snob (laughs) as well i like you know i like audio to sound good um So hopefully it does sound good to people. (laughs) If it doesn't, then that's uh, that's no good. But it's got to sound good. Mm. Audio is so important. So, so important. So if you've just got, you know, you're listening to something with, um, I don't know, that's just shot on a, a shotgun mic or it's just using a you know horrible lav mic or something like that that's you know a cheaper lav mic or you are just using your iphone earbuds with the mic on and whatnot that's unacceptable audio for me What's also, because
0: i'm an audio snob i think it's also statistically proven actually that um that when you have a, a good looking video uh with a terrible sounding audio track people are more likely to switch off uh, than if you have then, then compared to a video that's that looks maybe a little bit you know a little grainy, but the audio sounds a lot better. So I yep. think the uh, the importance in in get, getting the audio sound as good as you can, you can actually see that in the statistics or in the analytics uh, when, when you look behind the scenes um, on YouTube.
1: A- absolutely, I I think that your eyes adjust better to something than your ears mm. do. If something sounds bad and doesn't sound great, your ears will eventually get used to it and will make that sound, quote-unquote, better to your own ears. Mm. But
0: visually, we, we can adjust so much quicker. So, so much See, quicker. See, this, this could be an interesting thing, actually. You know, If you think about it, if somebody's coming to video from from stills photography, for example, and I want to get started in video, then uh, really people tend to think of the image first. They tend to think like, okay, you know, what kind of camera do I need? You know, do I need to record in 4K or in 1080 or what is that? You know, blah, blah. Um, What about color? Even people might go as far as to think like, okay, what about white balance or or any of these things? But I think coming from stills photography, you tend to forget about the audio part of it. It's almost like an afterthought, you know, initially. And, um, you know, you can do a simple test. I mean, if you, most cameras have a built-in microphone. If you just record some audio... Uh, with that built-in camera mic and then you compare that to just about any external mic you'll you'll hear the difference in quality straight away and then of course once you really pay attention to the audio and you, know, you start looking at better mics or better ways of possibly external recorders and so forth and um, that you can really level up the audio quality as you really start to to see the difference that that makes um to your video there may be an interesting thing for us to actually create some some extra special content um on that um that uh that may you know show you guys how to how to get great audio without really having to break the bank because you know you could spend a lot of and money and that's, that. that's the important part
1: isn't it it's, it's it's about being able to get started with something that
0: sounds and looks good
1: without you know, spending too much at all. You know, spending as mi- little as possible until you know that it's something you really want to do, and you go, okay. Where where's my weakest link now? Chances are it's probably going to be your audio, because most cameras can take a great video these days, but they none of them can capture good audio.
0: None of them. A really good example. For, none. By the way, a really good example for that is actually my Fuji X100F, because I'm really super super happy with the image quality that i'm getting straight out of camera we're not talking about log footage or anything like that i mean it's just straight out of camera straight up you know video it just looks great it's just got the fuji colors and it's just something that happens to the skin tones and all that kind of stuff it just looks really really good the audio preamp in in that camera are pretty shocking though i mean even if yeah. you use an external mic and of course it'll sound a million times better than just a built-in mic and all that and you know for most things it'll work right like if i you know if i went out with the kids or whatever you know we filmed the dog or something all of that would be fine but i think if you're you know if you were to use that camera for for anything more than that you would actually really have to look at an external recorder because it's just the preamps the audio preamps yeah in the camera are just not that hot
1: yeah and that's the interesting thing about the C70, actually. Is, you know, For the longest time, I've been using an external recorder. I've been using the Zoom H6 uh, um, to record audio, almost exclusively that. I don't think I've used, been using anything else for ages. But when I moved to the C70, that has mini XLR inputs on it as well. So you can put your XLR from your mic directly into that rather than using an external recorder. And I compared the two. first got it and the preamps in that c70 are infinitely better than the zoom h6 Mm. so what does that really mean two two primary things you'll pick up on immediately with something like that is it handles the the low end of your voice so much better Mm -hmm. it sounds more rounded more natural more full more podcast (laughs) and yes for those of you listening to the audio version of that i did air quote that podcast um it's got that podcast kind of sound to it straight away because it's got it's picking up the low end properly um it's tra- you know um kind of transforming it if you like it's so amplifying that sound correctly um and the other thing is the noise level on it is the noise floor on the c70 appears to be lower um than the zoom h6 so that means that when you're cranking your game your the the uh, inherent hiss that's there the noise floor doesn't become as impar- apparent until mm-hmm. much later so if you crank it the same on both you'll hear more hiss on the h6 than you would on the c70 essentially, essentially it added bonus records straight to and combines with my video file that's been happened with it mm-hmm. don't have to record it separately don't have to combine them and sync them later all sorts of wins going on there. Mm. Don't get me wrong, there's still going to be plenty of occasions where I'm going to need to 6
0: separately, of course. But for something that we're doing right now, this is perfect. So Absolutely I mean, perfect. a really good example for when we used the external recorder still on the shoot that we were on um, a few days ago was when we were recording Foley Sound. So Foley Sound is basically um, where you record, like in this particular uh, case, we were, we were shooting a lot of, we we're shooting basically the the, the process of um, a piece of furniture being made, and so there's like the tools, the hand tools, and then there are like you know machines that are that are being used, um, and you know we're shooting those in slow motion, and of course what you what's not happening then is you're not you know actually recording the audio portion of that at the same time so that means you have to go in and and record all of those audio sources of the sound of the sword the sound of the chisel or the sound of the tools or whatever afterwards so that you can then overlay that in the final edit and actually get a realistic um, impression of what that particular scene was actually like Um, and Mm -hmm. in that instance for instance that's really where you need an external recorder uh, especially when you're on set and you record that stuff and so it allows you to move around and yeah, you know, record these sources, um, and I was—I mean, that I was just quite an interesting thing as well because, you know, is it just sounds very cool when you have something in super slow mo, and then then you combine that with the actual sound. It just sounds—it just, just makes the whole experience difficult. so much more cinematic.
1: Yeah, and it, it's one of those things that you can watch a video with with those sounds on. And, oh, that's great. Yeah, great. But you, don't, you may not even notice that they were there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But if you then watched it without, it then suddenly feels
0: slightly un- unnatural and you don't know why. So before we come to the end of this episode, it, there's only one more thing I really want to uh, have a quick chat about, and that's the latest official White House uh, photograph of President Biden and Kamala Harris, um, because I just saw that popping up um, yesterday, I think. And um, it's one of these things, you know you see the portrait and as a portrait photographer, you look at it and you kind of go, I'm not really sure what I should think about that. (laughs) You know, it's uh, not the greatest portrait I've ever seen. (laughs) That good, is it? (laughs) But at the same, I mean, it's not terrible. I mean, obviously it's not terrible. You know, it's as far, technically speaking, as far as the portrait is concerned, it's sharp, it's in focus and all the rest of it. And that's, that's all cool. Um,
1: what's um what what's wrong with it? What what are you finding an issue with it? I've not seen it.
0: Well, it's one of these things. Uh, you know, it's it was uh, it was shot by um, President Biden's, you know, White House staff photographer. Uh, it's a guy called Adam Schultz, and every president brings in his own photographer. Um, so you know, Barack Obama had Peter Sueser um, famously, and so on and so forth. And I can't remember the name of Trump's. Um, stuff probably age. did it himself. <laughs> yeah, iPhone. You know, Twitter.
1: Uh, I am the best photographer in the world. It's okay, I can say that. Everybody
0: knows that. One hundred percent. Um. So yeah. So uh, so President Biden's um photographer is called as uh, a guy called Adam Schultz, and he interested... I mean, one of the first things that really caught my attention was the fact that he shot this on the Sony A nine two. Now, that's interesting because previously, um, the vast majority of, um, of presidential White House photographers have used either Nikon or Canon gear. And it was only, um, I think, it was only during the Trump administration that they switched to Sony. That kind of gives you an idea as to how far ahead Sony has come in the whole mirrorless, you know, pro-photography market i mean this is an interesting yeah. it's an interesting development i mean for decades there was really no question it was either going to be canon or nikon depending on um the preference of whoever had the job i guess but you know if you think about it
1: um with if that came in with trump trump is very orange <laughs> yeah <they're laughs> orange you know heading into the magenta world so if sony adds green which it does yeah Actually, I just uh, kind of count about
0: in some of these. That's a, a great possibility. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it like that, but that's, uh, that's a distinct possibility. Uh, um, and I know they switched from, I believe, from Canon to um, to Sony during that presidency. So, yeah, whatever. But anyway, we're not talking about Trump's pictures. We're talking about um, Biden and Kamala Harris's um, portrait photos. And you know, the thing is, so it was it was shot on a Sony A 92 um, and the question there was immediately like oh, you know why haven't they shot it? Why didn't they shoot it on the on the new A1? And I think from what I've heard is is that they had only just received the A1 and I didn't want to you know use a camera body that they weren't like 100 familiar with. The, the thing there Fair is enough. you got to remember that they really only have minutes to create these portraits. You know this it's yeah. so tight in the schedule. Yeah. Um, I, if he'd had more than ten minutes, I would have been I would be surprised. It was probably literally just. You know, everything set up just stand there smile it takes probably I don't know 10 shots or something and it we're done and that's it and it'll take like as far as the president's concerned it'll take like a whole of like two minutes or something of his time you know and that that's about it um but I mean my first impression of that of that photo was it's really quite flat I just it's just no knew you were gonna say that particularly exciting to look at mm. and you know I've had to look at Previous presidents' portraits, and uh, especially when you go back to the sort of film days, and I think you know when you go back to Clinton, that was that was definitely one hundred percent guaranteed, still shot on film. Um, and then, of course, you go further back to let's say Ronald Reagan or something. um What happens with Reagan, especially when you look at that time? You know, there was um there was a lot more depth, there was a lot more shadow. Um, there's a lot more dynamic range in the in the images. I mean of course it was shot on film, but um, still as far as the lighting was concerned, there was a lot more contrast there between the lit side of the face and the shadow side of the face. Um, there was just a lot more three-dimensionality to it and a lot more shape to it. Um, the thing I think that that really that I found surprising about these these latest um, photos or Biden's photo in particular is how, really how flat it is. It's just such flat lighting. Um, and you can, you can 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 you see from the photo? I'm guessing then that they've got two equidistant kind of lights going straight on them. It, you can't really see that in, Same in Biden's eyes, but you can see the catchlights uh, in Kamala Harris's eyes, and it looks like they're pretty much just two, you know, straight-on light sources. It, whether they're umbrellas or soft boxes, I'm not sure. I can't really I can't really tell. Yeah. But you know, that's that's exactly what it seems. It's a bit school photo. If you ask me, and that's the kind of thing I've got problem with. Like, surely, if you're taking a portrait of, you know, the president of the United States, you kind of want to make it look a little bit more exciting than that. I mean, that's just, you know, the other thing that doesn't really do it for me is the background. It's it's really it's like a grey wall. Although it seems like there's a background light on that, but. You know, and it could be that I white, that I was originally white or whatever, but you know, you've got the the flag on one side and then just this gray blob on the other side. It's just not. It doesn't. It just really doesn't do it for me. And so I immediately so, looked at that and I think like, I thought like, "Oh, that's passport man. That's passport photo styly. That's <laughs> just not." You know, especially for somebody who who likes to shoot headshots and stuff like that. Just look at that. That's not. I wasn't. I wasn't terribly thrilled. It's not a bad photo. Again, like I said in the beginning, you know, it is sharp and in focus and all the rest of it. And I'm sure they used eye tracking and whatnot. I mean, it's all of that's cool. We can sort of argue as to whether the crop is ideal for it. Um, don't know. It, I kind of feel it's maybe a little, little wide. I personally would have probably cropped it a little tighter or something. But you know, that's it's a matter of taste, I guess. Um, you know, one thing actually I actually found interesting, though, is um, I had a look at the last, I don't know, maybe the last eight presidential photos. And one thing that's definitely happened is that there's definitely been a move towards using wider apertures over time. So if you go back to, I can't remember now, if you go back to sort of around the Clinton area or something, it was like 7.2, you know, F7.2 or something like that. Okay. You know it was still kind of f8ish you know it was you know it, it was that kind of depth of field. and now we're talking f 2.5 you know we're talking a lot more shallower um it's definitely a little bit more trendy in that respect a bit more modern yeah a bit more modern but there's nothing else that's that's modern in any way about this about the headshot as far as I'm concerned I mean other than the, other than the fact that it's just flat as heck you know, so, so they've gone modern with their aperture and gone backwards with everything else. Well, yeah. I mean, it's just not an exciting shot. It's just a little bit disappointing. You know, you could have done a lot more. And it w- it shouldn't have taken a lot more time either, because I'm pretty sure they've got some time. I mean, that would have been like... I mean, if you know what, a, what you're doing, you don't really need that much time to prep anyway, but you just have your assistant stand in or some other aide yeah. stand in, you know, the, the secretary, or the PA, or whatever, for like literally... 30 seconds you take a couple of shots you adjust the light it's not you know rocket science i'm pretty sure i personally haven't heard of adam schultz before that but given that he's the official white house photographer i'm pretty sure he knows what he's doing so it seems a little bit disappointing if you know what i mean
1: yeah and uh, the other thing is uh, who knows what he may have been told hey you need to make sure that this looks as
0: flat as possible flat. for whatever reason. I don't know why that would be the case, but it's possible. The only um, similarity that I can see also between this photo and Obama's photo, and you get got to remember that, of course, Biden served as vice president for Obama, so maybe he wanted to make that visual connection to the Obama portrait, was the gray wall in the background. So interesting so that's an interesting thing you know the flag on the one side and then the gray wall and th- th- that was something that's I think the second Obama portrait um had that and so maybe that's the connection they wanted to make I don't I'm not sure um, it's also interesting that in the in the um in the Harris portrait um that gray wall has a slightly a more bluish tinge to it so
1: oh wait. So they've taken the portraits in exactly the same place.
0: Yeah, basically they just had a setup, and they basically just walked both the president and the vice president in, and took the same thing. And in order to make it look the same, which it doesn't, <laughs> so I don't know. It's just a, it's a weird thing. It's just weird. Um, that, but again, I come back to to the fact that they're not they're not bad portraits because technically everything's right in those. Um, and I think we're really just, you know. Like we're just talking about like preference or taste or whatever you want to call it, yeah. you know. Um, have they have they been taken
1: um, sort of flat or flat on, so to speak, or are,
0: are they shooting up a little bit for that kind of? No, they're pretty much imp- this, more imposing. They seem to be pretty much um, straight on, and I you know the expressions are good. I mean, they you know they look happy and smiley, so there's nothing wrong with the subjects per se it's just that it's just it's mainly the lighting in the background i guess that i have a bit of a bit of an issue yeah. with personally but again it's just personal preference i mean somebody might look at that and might go oh that's a perfect portrait you can see everything everything's clear everything's in focus um and that's all good it's just a bit boring that's all i thought
1: yeah oh interesting i'll, I'll have a good in-depth look at these because it, it intrigues me because you 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 just naturally assume that a photo being taken, a proper portrait being taken of a president, is just going to be
0: top quality in every respect. Let, now, let me just say that it really doesn't compare to Any Libovitz's portraits of the Queen of England. It, it doesn't even. I mean, there's no comparison. <laughs> mm. Maybe that's what I was expecting. I don't know. I mean, this is, you know, we it's kind of or something in that ballpark
1: at least you know it's okay for them to look different of course mm.
0: but the quality in every aspect should still be there yeah it's just a, you know and it's just like i said it's a, it's a bit bland it's just bland i think that's the yeah that's the thing so anyway. no seasoning <laughs> so we have truly come to the end of camera Shack podcast episode 51 um If you are listening to the audio version of this, remember you can head over to youtube.com forward slash camera shake if you want to see our lovely faces in full Technicolor. Um, Also, please head over to our website, it's camerashakepodcast.com and uh, join our community. We're going to have lots of exciting things planned for you there. Uh, Of course, you're going to get the latest news and the latest updates on upcoming guests and so on, but we're also going to give you an insight into the behind the scenes of how we make this podcast and we've got some very special content planned for you in the very near future. So just head over to camera shake com. on the top left hand corner. You'll see a little button that says join our community, click on that. It'll take you to where you need to go and we will see you there. So without further ado, make sure you tune in next week for our uh, first anniversary special. We've got something really special planned for you there. Um, it's going to be really exciting and Well, whatever we have planned for you is going to be a whole lot of fun to make. So we'll see you again next week. Bye for now.